Always waiting for your next tabletop gaming fix? You can support Strange Assembly at patreon.com. This is Strange Assembly episode 184. In with the old, in with the new. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today are Jay Earl. Hello. And Matt Sandlin. How's it going? And we today are going to be revisiting 2014 and picking our game of the year. And then we are going to be going on to, to 2015 and having a preliminary game of the year when we're sitting here at the end of the, the year and could not possibly have played enough of the games released in 2015 to uh, have any sort of sensible opinion on it. So, But that's okay. We don't believe opinions here need to be sensible. Hooray! That's right. Well, at least we try not to make them sensible. <laughs> that, that is the general goal, yeah. Any, any sense is purely coincidental. <laughs> right. Any intelligence it's, behind the ratings, again, is purely coincidence. And will be hunted down and shot post-twit. <laughs> We're working on it. You can find more of us at strangeassembly.com. You can read reviews and articles there. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But we should just dive right into it. So let's just go ahead and each of us, we're, we're, we're just each going to talk about our five favorite games from uh, in order were from 2014. Then we're going to say what the, the show's top overall is with our behind-the-scenes tabulations, and then we'll move on to 2015. So Now, those those tabulations were very scientific and took a very long time, so, you know, just just be very, con- you know, concerned about the amount of time we spent on that. There's actual mathematical rigor behind it. It's just a very small data set, so it doesn't take time. And totally <laughs> did not involve a dartboard, we swear. Right. It, it did not... I have I have small children. Trust me, there is no dartboard in the house. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were suction cup darts. I mean, come on, <laughs> new Nerf guns, whatever you know. Yes. So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and hit us with your number five for 2014? Number five for 2014, small card game, Red Seven. Not a whole lot of component here, but I, I think just the sheer amount of times that this has hit the table kind of qualifies that to hit the hit the top of the the list. Okay. Jay, what's what's bringing up the, the rear of the list of great things for 2014 for you? So mine was Valley of the Kings, which I believe you're going to talk about later. Yes. Although you usually don't say it. You're supposed to be all mysterious oh, about it. Oh, like I'm people sure. will have forgotten that, you know, I thought Valley of the Kings was great. So why don't you just talk about it now? What is, what is Valley of the Kings? Valley of the Kings is a deck builder game where it's Egyptian themed and it's very heavily Egyptian themed. I believe the tagline is you can take it with you. And in fact, the only way to get points is to send them into your tomb, which is to remove them from your deck. So it's an interesting balance of playing the cards versus getting points out of them. My favorite games of that have ended with, like, three cards left in my deck, so it's just the same three cards over and over again. 
yeah, it, it plays very differently from a lot of deck builders. You've got the crumbling aspect of the, the pyramid for what you can get. Yeah, you have to entomb the cards and take them out of your deck for them to be worth anything. And it switches into this stranger sort of final mode at the end as the, the deck is running out, which is what ends the game. And so your turns become about entirely about entombing things and you've switched away from the just building up your deck. Valley of the Kings is great. If a standalone expansion was allowed to qualify, it would also be on my best of 2015 list, but... Agreed. I can't make an exception for that, but yeah, Valley of the the Kings is very good. My number five for 2014 is Kingsport Festival. If you've played Kingsburg, this is basically Kingsburg with a Cthulhu theme. Uh, it's by the same designer. And so it is a... a dice placement game where at the start of each turn you roll three dice and there are these spots around the board that you will take turns putting one or more of your dice on to to you know to claim that spot and so you'll get to activate it later and obviously you have to manage whether you're getting higher or lower die rolls there's actually a bit more of a balance to that in this i think because there's the sanity aspect so if you only ever roll high things, which is just flat out better for the most part in Kingsburg. Mm-hmm. You may have difficulty keeping your sanity at an acceptable level in Kingsport Festival. You are cultists trying to summon the old gods in this one, by the way. So I like Kingsburg. I like Kingsport Festival. I, I can't really give it points for creativity, but it's still fun and, and it's sort of the top of a, of a set of good games from 2014 that I, I could have gone a number of different ways with, but Kingsport Festival I went with. Number four, Matt, what you got for us? I've got Arcadia class, so this is just kind of a, or they bill it as a PvPVE. So some dice chucking and exploding dice kind of quest mode where you're going against the environment, and then also take that to your opponent. Just again, it's, I have a lot of fun with that. The exploding dice have always made for interesting situations. You have your small party of adventurers, your guild. You go into a dungeon setting, basically, where you and the other players are both trying to kill enemies. And you can kill each other. You want to kill each other and you want to kill enemies. Both of these will earn you things over the course. It is my favorite normal cool mini or not game <laughs> with the glorious minis yes yes with the giant giant stack of minis so not there or not section <laughs> yes yes the cool mini <laughs> section of the cool mini or not which is a much more populated section just, just frankly, a little bit than the than the or not i think 2016 is supposed to change for that a little bit on that for them i think there's at least two that aren't many at all that i know of so They've got a couple that have no minis already, and they've got at least one, maybe two, that have minis, but they serve no function whatsoever. Yes. Maybe they're in the cool mini section, maybe they're not, but there's kind of a difference between I have a really magnificent sculpted pawn thing in a puzzle game versus, you know, I have lots of magnificently sculpted monsters running around the board smashing each other. Yes. It seems more significant yes. in the latter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Correct. What's your number four, Jay? My number four was Lords of Zivit. 
this is a game that, as a code monkey, I really like programming games like this, where the start of each turn, you plan out your six moves for the entirety of the turn, and then you spend the rest of the turn executing those maneuvers. What it is, is you're an adventurer, and you go, you're moving around this board trying to collect other adventurers, and you need a certain party of adventurers to go defeat monsters. And whenever you defeat a monster, you have a couple of options. You can get some coins, you can add some influence to the realm, you can build up wizard's towers. And then, interestingly, at the end of the game, it's an elimination scoring mechanic. So it's not who has the most, it's whoever has the least of coins is eliminated. Then, and these are random which order they're in, but then whoever has the least influence on the realm is eliminated. Yeah, and then whoever has the highest of the the last one will then be the winner. Right. Lords is in it. I really like if we were going through a top ten on this episode, it would have been in my top ten. So, yeah, Lords is in it was very good. And have you had the chance to play that, Matt? Yeah, I've actually gotten the chance to play it twice, and I completely forgot it was a 2014. So it is... Uh, I like it a lot as well. The, the pro- programming movement ones always... I think I can relate to the code monkey aspect, bumping it to the top of types of mechanisms that are fun. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun trying to second guess what your friends are going to do and how that's going to horribly screw you. I've lost track of how many times playing that game or Robo Rally where it's time to flip and you immediately look at somebody like, yes or no. Yeah. This one does have a, I think, a significantly different feel than than Robo Rally, though. I mean, this is not as chaotic as Robo Rally. Oh no, nothing is as chaotic as Robo Rally. <laughs> All right, my number four for 2014 is Alchemists. This is a worker placement and deduction game. It doesn't require an app, but it's a real pain if it doesn't. Like you have to have a player as the game master, so it effectively requires an app. That part of it, the part that really makes it most distinct, is that you're trying to figure out during the game what these alchemical formulas are. And they'll be different for each game. The the app will generate them. And so during the course of the game, you will get pieces of information by combining different ingredients and seeing what comes out of it, what sort of potion comes out of that. And then... During the course of the game, you have the opportunity to basically guess at those. You're publishing a, a thesis or, or something like that. And, you know, you're staking a, a claim to, I say that this is how you make this potion or this is what the meaning of these ingredients is. And for more points, the earlier you guess it. But if you if you're if it that's still your guess and you're wrong at the end of the game, that's that's negative. But the deduction aspect of that combined with a more normal worker placement things like resource gathering, I think what was really good. Uh, and I know you've played that, Matt. Yeah, this actually was, uh, I guess, one of our, my quote-unquote honorable mentions. I was very hesitant about this because of the app and just how it was going to impact the game. And I think that, for me, this is one of the greatest app things for it because technically you can still play it without the app so if we lost all power for ever 
you could actually still play the game, but it, the app makes it easier to play. It facilitates playing instead of distracting. <laughs> yes, because if all power goes out forever, what we're going to be concerned about is whether or not we can play Alchemists. Hey, hey, I've got a lot of games here. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where like, yeah, I, I feel obligated to mention that kind of thing because there are people who just don't like the idea of a game that requires an app because there is some possibility at some point in the future that they'll drop a an update on your iPhone that makes it unplayable or that you won't have a smartphone in the future or will switch to some new kind of phone that doesn't have apps. I can see the argument for, like, if they stop updating their app and it gets too out of date and you can't run it anymore in a few years, the game could be unplayable. I get that. I have sympathies, I have leanings in that sort of way, but then I I have gotten to the point where I very quickly remind myself that, like, seriously, if I'm still trying to play a game seven years from now or whatever, I've gotten money's worth out of it at this point in time. Yes. The number of games that we have where, like, we, we get it and then we play it w- twice or my copy doesn't get played because somebody else in the group bought it anyway, and so my copy sits on a shelf. Like, look, Kingsport Festival. My copy of Kingsport Festival is not open. <laughs> I got it because I liked it, but other other people have it. Why, why, why did they go out and get it? I, you know, I, anyhow. Well, uh, yes. I well, mean, I well, know well, why I got it, but still. <laughs> I think we'll have to talk about that when we get higher up in the 2014 list. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was my number four. What is your your number three for 2014, Matt? My number three for 2014 is La Granja. So let's see if I can... Sp- uh, exactly. Uh, I can speak properly. Um, so, again, wor- uh, worker placement, but more uh, kind of card placement. You're a farmer who has, who has a farm, and you are trying to get as many of your markets out to control the board, but you get cards each turn, and you can use them in one of four ways. And each card you can either put as a field to grow something, as a new type of worker in your farm. You can add it as a kind of income or pig generation, or you can actually use it to send stuff to the market. So the the decisions with the different cards and having, you know, going, oh, man, this would be really great if I did this. Oh, but it, it's really easy for me to do this other thing with it. So I had a lot of fun with that. Any game that has a concept of pig generation, I mean, that's that's got to be a plus, right? Yeah. Hey, bacon makes it all better. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Okay. Uh, how about your number three, Jay? So my number three was Roll for the Galaxy. It's a dice-based role-taking game. I've never played Race for the Galaxy, but my understanding is it's it's fairly similar, just with dice instead of cards. Basically, the way it works, you have certain dice that are in your cup. You roll those. There's five different potential rolls that can be taken. You divvy your workers out to those five rolls, and you pick one that you say is definitely going to happen. Once everyone has made their selections, we reveal... And based on what people selected, somewhere between two and five, however many players you have playing at the given time, 
of the available roles will actually occur, and you'll get to do them. And so the roles are, are, you know, basic things like getting new things to work on building, building out things, planets and technologies that you've previously previously found to work on, using those to get resources or sell them for victory points. And it's all about building up your victory points through a couple of different routes. And there's lots of little subtle nuances, but that's, that's the basic idea is there's roles to be taken and you use dice to figure, uh, figure them out. Yeah. Jay, I, I think, uh, this may be blasphemous as well, since I haven't played the race, the role is supposed to just be superior in all, all ways, except it just doesn't have as many expansions yet. Right, no, I, I've not played race either. I can't speak to that, but I really like Roll for the Galaxy. A lot of people really, really like this. It's gotten played uh, a number of times down in our group, Matt. I, I suspect that if everyone got a vote, there would be a number of them that went into into their top fives. I think that would probably bu- bubble up a little bit higher, too. All right, my number three shows up later on Matt's list. So we will skip to Matt's number two, or maybe we just skip straight to Jay's number two. I think we have to skip to Jay's number two, because I think my number two is talked about later. So, yes. Yes. So what is your number two game of 2014, Jay? My number two game for 2014 was Doomtown. The... What did they call it? Because they couldn't call it a living card game? Expandable card game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, expandable, yeah card game. expandable card game. <laughs> that is based on the weird west of Doom La- of uh, Deadlands, and that is based on the original Doomtown card game from 15 years ago or so. It's got some very interesting mechanics. For instance, all of the cards that are going into your deck have some sort of poker value, and so whenever... There's a conflict between the players. They draw up ha- poker hands and use the rank of the poker hands to determine who wins. It's a very Wild West themed. So there's often, I mean, basically from what I've, I can tell, nearly everyone's first experience playing that game is you all go into the town square and you have a giant shootout at high noon and you kill off everybody and the other person wins. <laughs> Same is, over, man. Yeah. Not, you know, the best way to actually play the game, but a lot of fun when you do it. Yes, I believe that's what happened the first time that we played Doomtown Reloaded. We Mm -hmm. got in a fight in Town Square, you killed all my guys and won the game? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I still have a deck that that's its favorite tactic, is to try to force that to happen anyway. But yeah, it's 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 an expandable card game. It came out in 2014. I think at this point it has almost a dozen expansions that have been added that have constantly changed the environment, and it's not the same game it was when it was released. They've added two new factions. They've added a whole bunch of different viable decks into the meta. Decks have come out of the meta. So, yeah, I greatly enjoy that game. Okay. My number two, we basically already talked about earlier, and that was Valley of the Kings. Still, still good. Matt, what is your number one game of 2014? Number one game of 2014. 
I actually didn't receive until this year. So, but that is Orléans. So, bag building. So, workers out and on the board. I think we talked about it, what, last? Yes. The last podcast. Uh, so, yeah, two, two of the games on, on your list we talked about last podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, I just, it's, it's been a lot of, a lot of fun. We've, it's gotten to the table a, a good number of times. There's so many decisions that can be made in here, and even though it's, you know, people complain about the randomness of the bag, I love drawing out of the bag just to go, don't mess me up, don't mess me up, I'm completely messed up. Amounts of randomness can actually be helpful. There's a lot of Euro games through that. I mean, like, we played Madeira recently, and that involves a random draw of where tiles are going to be every single turn, and that is a super heavy Euro. Right. So there's nothing nothing wrong and often something's quite good with a, a moderate amount of randomness. I mean I think the funny thing to me is that it I think a game like that gets a lot more Euro cred because it's tokens being pulled out of a bag instead of, you know, a deck of cards, which would be the exact same thing. It's like a deck builder, right? Except it's tokens instead of cards. But yeah, Orleone was my number three. I think it's it's very good. And I think this is what you were talking about earlier, Matt. Did three of us back the Orleones Deluxe? Like we all we, Yeah, we all did. There was a lot of us. Yeah, we all did not like <laughs> yeah, three yeah, three people who play together on a weekly basis do not all need to own the same game, and yet there we are. Yes, the the communication on that is like, hey, I'm backing this. Hey, me too, it looks really, really good. There was never a decision of, hey, do you think maybe one of us shouldn't back this? <laughs> we don't all actually need to buy this, but oh well. Yes. You're welcome, TMG. Right, exactly. So, all right, Jay, what's your number one game of 2014? So my number one game of 2014 was Imperial Assault. It's the Star Wars Descent. It is kind of a light role-playing game minis game. One of my favorite things about it is there's actually two modes of play. The campaign mode is reminiscent of Descent, where you have one Imperial player against two to four rebel Rebellion players. The Rebel players each have a hero that they are playing as that represents them. The Empire has wave after wave of stormtroopers and bounty hunters, and Imperial Guards, and if they're lucky, they can bring out Darth Vader or Boba Fett or other heavy hitters. And you you play a campaign where there's a series of missions, and depending on how each side does, they get more or less benefit, and other missions become available to them or not, and you play something like eight missions to determine who wins the campaign. Meanwhile, I've, the, the reason it ranks so highly for me, I have been playing a lot of the skirmish mode, which is a 1v1 tournament game where you take the same tile system from the campaign mode, you build out maps, you bring a fixed list of 40 points worth of characters, you can be the Empire, you can be the Rebels, you can be the Scum, which is, you know, the bounty hunters like Boba Fett, and you just fight each other. There's scenarios, so sometimes it's just an all-out slugfest to determine who can defeat who. Other times it's who can most quickly get 
things from point A to point B. Each scenario adds a little different thing to it. And then also this is another expandable game. I think I heard that Wave 5 just hit recently that is all of the Hoth set and is another big box and has all sorts of things. But yeah, I've greatly been enjoying it. It's another very expandable, very customizable game. And it's miniature combat, so what's not to love? To be honest, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I have not played Imperial Assault yet. Not sure how that has happened, but it just... I mean, I know how it happens. It's because I've only got so much time for two-player tournament-style things, and because in a normal setting, the skirmish mode, you really have to make an effort to play the same thing repeatedly, and we tend to flip around between a lot of different games. But... I've not played this one. I'm sad. I did just get it. I just, I got, I was given it for Christmas. So I guess now that I have my own personal copy, hopefully that means I will get to play it and not just against Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I enjoy playing against Benjamin, but it's still the same thing. Right. I guess the main campaign version of it, I, I have gotten to play a couple times and I, I would put it over Descent any day. Just the the theme brings it out. And, you know, once you put a little bit of paint on those minis, I think they look a little better. So my, my number one game for 2014 and Matt's number two is Splendor. Very straightforward. Feels very super nifty components. I... I grant the observation that they're really just nice poker chips, but that's okay. It's just a very streamlined, straightforward Euro-style game. You are collecting, right, on your turn, your, your standard thing is, I collect resources. You take some of these gems. Then you buy tiles, or you buy cards with the gems, which then give you a constant gem production, which lets you buy better cards, and either you can just get go straight up and try to get expensive ones or go wide and try to get a lot of ones and pick up these tiles that are extra victory points for having certain combinations and just very straightforward engine building. I know some people don't like it because they think it's too simple, but I, I think it is enough to be fun for most gamers and also something that you can play with a, a lot of different people. and so. I think Splendor's great. Uh, yeah, it has a wider appeal that uh, I guess your traditional hardcore gamers can get in it and, and enjoy the engine building aspect of it, but then the more casual people can get it, it can learn it and pick it up pretty quick. Within you know the first turn or two, they're like, oh, and it clicks, and then they're like, can we play again? Why, well, certainly we can play again. <laughs> yes, what? that game took like half an hour. Yes, we can play again. <laughs> right. So then we have uh, what we do. We have the the final game of the year rankings, I guess. Although it starts to make me wonder if if they should never be final. We should just we should just perpetually go back and and do the best games of year X as we see it from year X plus two or X plus three or X plus four. Right. What is the best game of 1992? <laughs> um. I don't even know of anything that came out in 92. Magic was 93, right? <laughs> and so I was thinking about this. So what, but what we've been doing is we, at the end of a year, we have 
preliminary game of the year, and then a year later, when we've, in theory, had the chance to play all relevant games, although that does not actually hold up, as you can see from my inability to get uh, Imperial Assault played. <laughs> and so that's Hey, Jay, I actually have your answer for that. Okay. That is Battlemasters. So this is the giant minis game where you had like a square tile on, on like the 4x4 four four game mat that was like super thin. Nice. So yes, I, I, that, that is definitely, definitely. Best game of 1992. Best game of 1992. Cause it looks like there's some Hero Quest expansions. Um, or I mean, if you really want to go Loop and Louie, but yeah, I think Battlemasters is a better pick. <laughs> Um, Ray Internet. That's yeah. Yep. Like, see, now you're making me want. Like, oh, now I have to pull up BGG and see uh, what actually is the. Because I own, I um, I'm looking at Battlemasters right now. It is on my shelf. Really, I think my copy. I hope I still have my copy somewhere because it was. It's. I remember going to a. What's it? An outlet mall somewhere out of state with my family and being like, I want that. Like, and having no clue what it was. And they're like, but no. But and I'm like, look, I came here. I don't like shopping. Buy me that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that particular tactic ever... Uh, and it worked. I know, right? For me, yeah. If you actually went back and played everything, there'd probably some sort of serious game that was better or some actual war game or something. But I... Ooh, there was a game called X-Men Alert that came out. That's got to be terrible, but it does have X-Men in the title, so... <laughs> so you open a copy, got it. Yeah, I think if you're just looking at board games, I th think that would actually be my game of the year at this moment for, for 1992. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Battlemasters. Well done. <laughs> okay, glad we established that. We've now established game, Strange Assembly Game of the Year 1992, Battlemasters. Another oddity looked out, and I'm not sure what happened with this, but so back in, in 2013, we declared the, our preliminary game of the year was Viticulture. Then at the end of 2014, when we looked back, our final game of the year was, or our actual ultimate game of the year was Star Realms, with Viticulture in second place. But the funny thing is now, if you go on Board Game Geek, Star Realms is a 2014 game. Now. You cheated. No, but like, <laughs> that's what I'm like. It was a 2013 game. It was listed in their database as 2013 when we did that. Or else we somehow misread it with like, cause everyone, all of us voted for that game. Who were voting at the time. Like everybody liked that. But I, I saw that because when I was looking for 2014 to do this thing, I'm like, Star Realms, but Star Realms was our 2013 game of the year. How can it be in our 2014 game of the year list? That, how does that work? Do we retroactively go and give Viticulture the game, final game of the year and bump I, Star Realms to something in 2014? I, I, I think so because <laughs> I put Tuscany as an, as, uh. Yes, you, <laughs> yes, Matt, Matt tried to put it expand, yes, expansions do not. Tuscany, amazing expansion, oh, not game of glorious, glorious, yes. No. <laughs> of course, there's really no reason for someone to buy Tuscany anymore. So, well, if you already have Viticulture, if you don't have Viticulture yet, just go buy the Essential Edition. It's yeah, 
it, it's yeah. I don't know if it's got every single thing that you'd want out of Tuscany, but it's got enough to be great. So yeah, there's no reason to like buy the game and then the expansion when you can just buy the game with the extra modifications. But yeah, so I it was just a little strange. So we're not going to disturb that, at least not for now. Star Realms remains a 2013 game for Strange Assembly purposes. So, our preliminary rankings at the end of last year, the second runner-up was Lords of Zidit, the first runner-up was Valley of the Kings, and the preliminary game of the year was Doomtown Reloaded. There were also five other games that got votes of some sort that no one had on their list at having come around a year later. There's a vast amount of flux between the end of a year, and then once we've had another year to play everything, which is why you don't know, have a real Game of the Year award right at the end of that year. But Yeah, I mean, just, just trying to compile the list for 2015, I lost track of how many titles I scrolled past that I've heard really good things about, but I've not personally had a chance to play, so I don't feel comfortable ranking. Well, especially since so much of the release schedule for... Uh, unsurprisingly titled Euro, called Euro Games, like there's a lot of that stuff that comes out at Essen, mm-hmm. and so it, it will get to the U.S. relatively quickly, but it does take some time. Like or, or Leon, right? Yeah, I I don't know anybody personally who actually played Orleone before the deluxe came out, or at least right. more maybe I do and I just don't realize it. That got really good buzz from Essen 2014, but it just took that long for the Kickstarter deluxe version to come out. So, and now it's on the, the 2014 list. So, speaking of which, first runner-up is Orleone for 2014 Game of the Year. Game of the Year is Splendor. So there you have it, your 2014 Game of the Year is Splendor. The second runner-up would be a tie between Imperial Assault and Valley of the Kings, but if there's a tie, I get the tiebreaker because I'm full of myself. And in other circumstances, I might hand it to the game that I like better. But in this case, I'm going to hand it to the game that I suspect is getting snubbed because I haven't played it yet. So we'll call <laughs> Imperial Assault the a first among equals for second runner-up. <laughs> Imperial Assault and Valley of the Kings. There we go. So there's 2014. So let's go on to 2015. Again, these this is these are preliminary things. This is as of this second of the let's face it, relatively small slice of twenty fifteen games that we have had the chance to play as compared to twelve or six months, even six months from now, and things have percolated out more. But Well, I did exactly what Jay did. I was like, Oh yeah, that's supposed to be really good. Oh, that's supposed to be really good too. Like t- while making this list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if only supposed to be really good was uh that's, that's not what we rate things on. Right. So, Matt, why don't you start with your number five game of 2015 as we sit here right now? Number five, The World of Smog on Her Majesty's Service. So, uh, this is uh, kind of one of the, I guess, in-between games for Cool Mini or not. It's got some really great-looking bus figures for it, but completely superfluous. You don't need them at all. Well, you need them a little bit, but not really. You could t- put tokens. Tokens! But very, very 
puzzle-oriented game. You are trying to collect some ether to be able to find your secret place on the board and get out. But it's all about orientation, and the board, the uh, locations on the board spin. The board has the ability to spin. Again, it's a giant puzzle and just a lot of fun. It will make your brain hurt. <laughs> Smog is is exactly the sort of thing I was thinking of when I was yeah. It's like well, it's got miniatures, I guess, but not necessary. Yes, I'm not sure why they're busts instead of figures, just to be different, or I don't know. I think it flows into the kind of steampunk world that Smog is supposed to be for them to be the bust, and it, it kind of gives you another area to add another gear or two. Yeah, I guess. But some of those some of those characters would look pretty cool as actual you know, miniatures. I know. Okay. Jay, I think you have a number five. My number five will be mysteriously discussed later. Okay. My number five is The Grizzled, so there's another cool mini or not game, definitely on the not side. We also talked about this recently on the podcast. It is a World War I-themed cooperative game. The object is to survive. Right. (laughs) You win by surviving until Armistice Day. That is it. When you go on missions, you succeed at a mission by withdrawing before you fail. (laughs) Right. Basically, each mission you're going on, you're trying to take as much punishment as you can and then get out before somebody dies or you hit a mission failure condition. The morale constantly goes down over the course, and you're, you're basically trying to run through enough challenges one side of the deck of cards before your morale runs out on the other side. And you can even get these uh, almost entirely negative personality quirks that will make you do things like you're you're shell-socked and mute, so you as the player cannot talk. You uh, are prideful, so you can't withdraw if it would be possible for you to stay in. That sort of thing. It's a small game. It's definitely worth playing. It's just so distinctive in the theme, partially. It's hard to compare something like The Grizzled against, like, Forbidden Stars or some heavy hero, but it's just doing something that feels a lot more distinctive than the other contenders for my fifth spot would be. You know, I've heard a lot of people say that I've never had so much fun losing a game. (laughs) While playing that game, it, it, it is also kind of, you know, just again, the theme is kind of, dep- again, depressing. You know, it's like, not how do I defeat my enemies? It's no, how do I survive and not die? And I think it's a, a good choice. And, you know, a lot of the, bu- there, there is a lot of positive buzz going on about this game. So, your number four, Matt, is, I believe, talked about later. So we must leave it as a mystery. It will, another, another mystery. Okay, Jay, please embarrass yourself. (laughs) Yes, for some reason Chris is unhappy with my number four pick of Exploding Kittens. 
one of the bigger Kickstarter games of the year. It was only one of the? Wasn't it the biggest? Didn't it crush all opposition? Yeah, like 8 million. (laughs) 8 million, something like that. Details. Details, details. Millions and millions of dollars of details. Yes, it's with, with artwork by the oatmeal. It's a very simple game. You have one communal deck. Inside that deck are exploding kittens. If you draw an exploding kitten, you lose, because the kitten explodes and you're, you're both dead. All of the cards are very silly things, like back hair and hang out, hang out with a unicorn and he lets you see the future, or grab the taco cat, who's a palindrome, to make somebody else take your turn for you. But yes, it's a very simple, light, fun game to do with your friends and joke around and have a few beers while you're not really paying much attention to what you're doing and laugh when the cat explodes in someone's face. This is definitely a beer and pretzels game. Um, I completely agree with that. You know, and it's even got the two versions. You've got the standard, hey, everybody can play this version, and then the not safe for work, where they add a whole bunch of random, I guess, cats doing horrible things. Naughty things and horrible things and all right. sorts of silly nonsense, yes. So, so is it like Apples to Apples and then Cards Against Humanity, but with one name? It's yeah. like they had a, a, a <laughs> ugly, ugly love child, uh, is what that would be. Yes. Look, if you want to play Russian Roulette with your friends and not have to worry about cleanup later, this is the game for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, that that was Jay's number four. My number four for 2015, uh, preliminary number four for 2015 is Code Names. Another one we've talked about on the podcast recently. This is a thinky party game where... The players split into two teams. Each team has a spy master who is giving clues, and the rest of the team is trying to figure them out. And you have a five-by-five grid of words, and you're trying to give clues to let your team, as the spy master, you're trying to give clues to let your team guess which of these words are, are your team's agents and avoid guessing the ones that are the other team's agents, and you can... Depending on how you're feeling, you can go for something very straightforward, like trying to give a one... These are all one-word clues. So you give a very straightforward clue for exactly one agent, and your team will almost certainly get it. But that's going to be very slow going. Or can you come up with something that maybe links together three different things? And can your team figure out what those are? Can you make sure that if they start guessing they're not going to guess the other team's agents or the assassin, who if anybody guesses the assassin, then, oh, that team loses. I think it's been a lot of fun, and we've played it repeatedly recently. So you know, I think I would enjoy this more with more people, because uh, I have realized that I am bad at giving clues for this game. Playing with, you know, four people on this, you know, two, ver- two versus two, I think it would go over a lot better with, you know, at least three on three, maybe four on four. I have not played this with less than six people, so at least three on three. So, all right, number three, Matt. Number three, Steampunk Rally. So another Kickstarter uh, on the list. Dice, pool management, and random 
real-life inventor entering into a steampunk derby where they race to the end. And one of my favorite things about this is the card drafting for it, because you're going to draft uh, all different types of cards, the ones that you can use to build your jalopy, or ones that will give you extra dice or other special powers for the for the race. So just a lot of uh, hilarity and rolling dice and watching things explode, but not kittens. <laughs> <laughs> part derby car parts or entire derby cars exactly both and, and and then also having the right card that says hey if you explode this time shoot forward because you made your thing explode so yeah <laughs> that's yeah steampunk rally jay do you get to talk about your number three no of course not that'd be cheating that would be cheating my number three will show up later Yes, all right, so then we'll go to my number three, which was also Jay's number five, and that is Star Wars Armada, because we cannot get enough plastic Star Wars figurines <laughs> from Fantasy Flight here. Nope. Oh no, Star Wars Armada is the big brother in scale, but definitely the little brother in sales, to the X-Wing miniatures game. While X-Wing is a squadron level game where you are controlling individual X-Wings and TIE Fighters and so forth. Armada is a fleet level game where you are controlling individual capital ships, Star Destroyers, Mon Calamari Star Cruisers, Krillian Corvettes, and then squadrons of ships, uh, of squadrons of little starfighters. And they write to the point which are relevant enough that like you can just move through them. Because a cap- capital ship can just move through starfighters, they just scoot out of the way and they show up behind it. I want to say it's more strategic than X-Wing, and I don't know that that's actually the right word. It's it's slower paced than X-Wing. You have to plan the bigger capital ships. You have to plan out several terms in advance what exactly or what sort of command you're going to be giving, whether or not you're going to be launching more squadrons or or doing things with navigation to speed up or slow down or turn more. You have this maneuver. Instead of each turn, you pick a maneuver and like you can go slow or fast or spin around. You've you've got the the what is it? Oh, I'm blanking on what they call it. Maneuver. What do they call that maneuver thing that you have to buy a second one of? Basically, Jay. Uh, the maneuver tool. Is that just, is just a maneuver tool? I can't. Doesn't it? It's got these little notches every couple of inches, and depending on how fast your ship is and how maneuverable, you, you kind of just get this wide banking of it where you know the movement can be very constrained. The second wave of this just came out recently, so you finally have the chance to play with full-size Imperial Star Destroyers. It's not to the exacting sort of scale that X-Wing is, because that just does not work with the capital ships. The big capital ships are just so much bigger than the small capital ships that they could never play together, so it's this sort of floating scale. Those capital ship miniatures still look fantastic. You get to have this big giant Star Destroyer on the table and throw like 12 dice at once. I, how can you <laughs> go wrong? Seriously. If I had played this, this might have gone onto the list. Again, it, it looks like a lot of fun, and it just hasn't seen the table for me. So that was my number three, Star Wars Armada. And so we're up to number two. What is your number two, Matt? 
I don't think this is on anybody else's list, so I can I do get to talk about it, and that's Blood Rage. Another cool mini or not game. There's a lot of different things going on in here. Card drafting, area control, uh, monsters coming out, upgrading your stats and your people. I've had a lot of fun with it. I know your opinion. We talked at length about it, but <laughs> <laughs> to me, there feels like there's a lot of a lot of ways to victory in here, and the the minis look fantastic. I mean, you, you some of the Kickstarter exclusive ones are just mind-boggling how good they look. So, Blood Rage, yeah, it's it's a Viking-themed one. It's Ragnarok. You can win by smashing your foes in battle, by plundering individual spots on the board, by getting your guys blown up. There's a lot of points to be had in getting your guys blown up, especially by Ragnarok, or just generally having them die, and everybody dies and goes to Valhalla and then comes back yes. at the end of the turn. So there are missions you can do that get you victory points that are about controlling chunks of the board, but there are also missions that you can do about getting a lot of your guys killed and going to Valhalla in a given turn. Then there's a a lot of the cards that are in it, and there's a card right, there's a card drafting element are the cards are themed by different Norse gods, and the Loki cards are about getting rewarded for for losing. It's super hot right now. A lot of people really adored it. Uh, as you could probably guess from what Matt had said, I you had kind of a sour experience. Well, the yeah, not it's one of those things where I'm sure that having played it once and getting more of how it works. I would enjoy it more the second time, but I don't see it getting to the point where I would it would be a, a favorite particularly or... enjoyable thing. So it's, it's sort of like I'd rather play a random game. I don't know whether or not <laughs> how I'm going to feel about it yet. But uh, lots of people who are not me definitely uh, definitely really like Blood Rage, including Matt, including me. Like I said, I played it a few times, so it's not. Not just I come out of the gate, won it, blew everybody away, but you know, so I don't know. Well, no, you didn't even win. The, no, I did. The, I, I mean, yeah, I almost did that. I almost did. Yes, yes, yes. Which was, which was really, really close. All right. So, what do you have for number two, Jay? So, my number two is the Game of Thrones Second Edition LCG by Fantasy Flight. This is they rebooted their long-running Game of Thrones LCG. Based on the books, it came out at Gen Con this year. Mechanically, the way it works is basically you play out personalities that you recognize from the books or the TV shows, and then, of course, a lot of personalities that you don't remember but that were there. Because, you know, any card game based on a property quickly runs out of main characters but still needs to have cards. (laughs) Anyway, you play out personalities that you recognize, and... Then they go and they do challenges like military intrigue or power that military will be killing off your opponent's guys, intrigue will be attacking their hand, and power will be stealing their power. The goal is to reach 15 power. The first one there wins the game. I did not play much of the first edition. I started with the second edition, and I have been greatly enjoying it. It has somewhat stolen some of my Doomtown time. For those of those listening who like L5R, I would definitely recommend it. It feels very 
L5R mechanics to me. Just remember, Gen Con 2017. I remember. L5R I'm LCG. Looking forward to it. We're already preliminary, Strange Assembly preliminary, and final game of the year 2017. Okay, only preliminary <laughs> game of the year 2017. Legend of the Five Rings LCG. I'm just yes. saying. Just saying. Yeah, I think we can call that one here. Yeah. Yes. Ding. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get outvoted. <laughs> no, you will play it and you will love it. There we go. That's that was the right answer. I'm yeah. sorry. Of course. Yes. I, I well, look. See now. Now that it will be an LCG instead of a CCG, those of you who are not in the CCG thing will just have now. You have no excuse not to to go try it. You know, having played uh, L5R in its like early early infancy, I think actually doing an LC, uh, a LCG of it, I would probably enjoy. Mm-hmm. We're a magnanimous podcast. You can either greatly enjoy L5R, or you can seppuku. Either or. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, <laughs> your choice. Your obvious, choice. This is an obvious choice here, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's seppuku, right? Seppuku, yes. Uh, yeah. So, Jay, now, a Game of Thrones, I think it had in the first edition actual multiplayer tournaments not just one-on-one am i misrecalling that and does the does the second adjustment do a lot of good multiplayer stuff too or yes it, it does very good multiplayer in fact to my understanding at worlds you have the joust which is 1v1 tournament champion you have the melee which is multiplayer champion and then the world champion is based on who ranked the best on both of those. I wonder how that would work with different, or how different the decks have to be. If you could like have to go through Swiss rounds or something, mm. jousting, and then you you get to the top eight, and it's like just giant battle to win. I don't know. Probably be too much politicking in that format. Anyhow, I'm sorry, yes. All right, so my number two game of 2015 for right now which was Jay's number three, is Seven Wonders Duel, which also got talked about last episode. Last episode was just chock full of really good games, right? We had Orleone, we had Seven Wonders Duel, Matt talked about the Arcadia, the new Arcadia Quest thing, which is on Kickstarter. There's some good stuff in there. Yeah, Seven Wonders Duel, it's a two-player version of Seven Wonders. I love Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders Duel obviously makes mechanical changes, but it still has a very similar feel where you are building up your little city over three ages. You know, at the beginning you collect a few resources and then you need those resources to build more cards later on and you have a military contest and you can just get cards that improve your economy or just get cards that give you victory points or try to work towards science combos. It just works really well and it's a great to have that Seven Wonders feel in a uh, in a two-player game. Anything else you wanted to chime in about the game, Jay? Yeah, I also really enjoy it. It does, as you said, it feels very much like Seven Wonders, but with two players. I really like the way it changes the game around, the tension. I had one game against Mike where I started early pushing military against him, and so the tension towards the end of the game of, would I get those last military pushes I need to finish him off? (laughs) <laughs> yes, like, I have eight military. You must mm-hmm. take every single military this entire age, or you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Seven Wonders Duel. Okay, Matt, what is your best game of 
2015 so far? Best game of 2015 so far. This was another Kickstarter, uh, sensing a trend here. Dead Drop Deluxe. So this is uh, a small card game where you're trying to deduce what the hidden card is. And so you'll be taking actions like trading information with somebody, which is switching a card, selling secrets, which is showing two cards to see if somebody has it. Or you can swap a card out with what's face up on the table. And then at the end, you try and go, hey, I know what that is. And you put two cards down that equal equal up to it and see if you've got it. I'm not sure how many times, but I think I've played this at least 50-ish times. A great thing for lunchtime at the office. So 50 times, that's 50 hands or 50 like total games? 50 distinct times of playing. That is, that is so, a, a lot. I've played Dead Drop. It's very good. If we were, it would it would be in my top ten. If we were, we were making people sit through our top tens, that would have made my top ten list. I think people would cry if they had to sit through our top ten. <laughs> uh, I think they already are. Yeah, especially two top tens within one episode. That's really the problem. If we have an episode where Maybe, yes. it's top a top ten, I I think that that can work. But uh, two top tens in one episode now, nah, that's especially when I have to finish editing it before I leave on vacation in two days. Ah. So that was uh, Matt's number one game of 2015, Dead Drop. What do you have up for us for the best game of 2015, Jay? Okay, so the best game of the year is Between Two Sweats. No, Between Two Cities. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent time to flub. Well done, sir. Well done, sir. This was actually uh, my number four. And, And... I'll let you, I'll let you go first, and then I'll. Okay. So what this is is this is a tile laying game where you a tile drafting game where each turn you have a certain number of tiles that you're looking at. You're going to grab a couple. You're going to pass them along. You're going to use the ones that you've grabbed to build up a city. At the end of the game, based on how your city looks, you score points for the city. Why it's called Between Two Cities is you're simultaneously building two different cities with your two neighbors. So if if I'm if the three of us are at a table, Chris and I are building a city, Matt and I are building another city, and Chris and Matt are building a third city. So at the end of the game, there will be three cities. You individually score points for the lower scoring of your two cities. So you have to be constantly balancing and making sure both of your cities are turning out fairly well. I have greatly been enjoying this. I Personally, for my current group, I really like any drafting game because it does not give them time to play with their phones. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that's a constant struggle at my game group's game tables is if it's a downtime, phones start coming out. But it's, it's also a lot of fun because there's some amount of cooperation in that you have to work together and do your city planning and make sure your city is coming along well, but you are in competition with that other person, so you you have to watch out for them and their sneaky tricks. No, I think I think it's a great game. I actually did a good number of automa testing for this, which was really cool. So I don't know why I put it so low then, but it, it, it just some other things popped out on top of that. But I even went to the lengths of doing a print and play in 
By print and play, I mean I spent way more money on the print and play <laughs> than, than, the the actual, than the final copy. <laughs> and, uh. and Chris has seen my my print and play, and that's why he laughs so hard. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're 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 right, Jay. Just the the tile drafting is, is it's a great cooperative. Here, let me negotiate with yeah. you and trick you into putting the best building in the one between us and not over in that other one. I think a lot of times I think of making a print and play, you know, somebody just would, like to make tiles, they'd just be slips of paper or something. You had them on these big, thick, you know, almost a centimeter thick foam core stuff. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. It was, it was, that was a serious business print and play, man. Yes, it was. Was Steampunk Rally a Kickstarter too, Matt? Yes, I... So I, every I, single I, one of your games is a Kickstarter. Yes, I only like Kickstarter, apparently. You have five Kickstarters. Jay has two Kickstarters. I, on the other hand, have zero Kickstarters, unless I'm... Maybe something... Maybe one of these is a Kickstarter, and I don't, I don't realize it, because it was just like a pre-order Kickstarter. My game of the year right now is Time Stories. Which we also talked about last time. It was it was like last time was a preview episode, and you guys didn't even know it. You know, I haven't gotten to play yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, don't worry, I haven't either. He doesn't like us. I, I mean, we we played it once, and you can only play it once. I I, have, well, I haven't played the Marcy case yet, but like we've we've played the Asylum. You can only play it once. I I can't play it again. It's that's it. It's, it would not be fun for somebody to sit down and play with it with somebody who has already played it because that person would either be effectively not playing or just telling everybody how to solve the thing and now you're done. So Time Stories is a consumable game. You have this deck or decks. Who knows what sorts of creative things they may do with it. And you pop into this circumstance as a group of characters with some foibles of their own. and you have to figure something out and accomplish something. And you may or may not know what that things, those things are. You certainly don't know how to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And you are not familiar with your surroundings. So you have to kind of just go out there and explore places and talk to people. And maybe you have to smooth talk them and maybe you have to fight them or maybe you have to, to do whatever. There's, there's literally an undefined stat. Like I think, in, in every module, there's a talking function, and in every module, there's some sort of fighting function, and then there's some other thing that they have the freedom to vary from from time to, to time, from module to module. And it was just, it was great to play through, trying to puzzle it out and figure out uh, what was going on. You know, you get as far as you can the first time, and then you fail. And then you have to reset everything, and now you're going back in, but you have more information, so maybe you go different ways. And maybe it turns out you did it more efficiently the first time, but you just, you know, you're, you're, the second time you go back to explore that place you didn't, and oh, no, that was worthless. And, you know, but it was just, it was really great. It definitely was a very strong story element to it. I think, as I said last time, like, I don't own time stories. Someone else in the group owns Time Stories, but I went out and just bought the Marcy case to play with the other person's uh, copy of the base game when we get the chance. So Time Stories right now is my favorite game of 2015. All right, so that that then leaves us here, and 
because of the silliness of, of how our things have fallen, we have a tie between Seven Wonders Duel and Between Two Cities. And so I'm going to have to give the tie to the game I like better. So that, that will make yeah. Seven Wonders Duel our preliminary game of the year for 2015. Boo! And there is much ire. I guess that it's true that yeah, two of us like between two. Well, you haven't played Seven Wonders Duel, Matt, but yes, two of us rate between two cities higher. I guess if we had an actual tiebreaker procedure, other than whatever Chris says goes, <laughs> maybe that would have been. Uh, is that a, let's say if you were if you were objectively coming up with a tiebreaker for something like that? Would that dartboard? No, well, foam, I mean like would that foam be, swords. Who, foam who, swords. Who voted? Whoever. For- Foam swords, yeah, yeah. No, well, and so that would leave between two cities as the runner-up, and then because of the silliness of when we have played so few of these games, there's then also a tie <laughs> for second runner-up then between Time Stories and Dead Drop because each of us each, that was rated as the game of the year by one player <laughs> and not at all by the others in any point-scoring way. So. I guess we have a, a we, we have a tie for second runner-up between uh, Time Stories and Dead Drop. So we have Splendor, Game of the Year for 2014, Seven Wonders Duel, Preliminary Game of the Year for 2015, and Splendor not actually on our, our preliminary list at all for 2014. Orleone, not on our preliminary list at all. Imperial Assault, not on our preliminary list at all, which I think really, really emphasizes why we only have a preliminary list at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just maybe. <laughs> so, but it's the end of the year. That's when you look back and, and wrap these sorts of things up. So, well, there you go. Goodbye 2015. On to 2016 next. But I call this episode In With The Old, In With The New, because... What we're talking about here is probably whatever the newest sorts of things are that we're playing, but there's still a lot of good stuff and uh, helpful to to remember it's still worth getting things to the table that came out last year or the year before or the year before that or 2012, as I recently opined, was the best year of gaming ever. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes or your other favorite podcast apps. You can find us on social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I am Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Matt Sandlin, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. saying boo er